Now, why don't you turn around and greet a few folks around you this morning and say hello to each other. Good to see all of you. What a good-looking group. Very cool. Hope you had a good week. If not, I hope today will be an encouragement that next week could be different if last week wasn't such a great week for you. Hey, uh, before we uh, dive into the message this morning, just a couple of reminders. Men, don't forget to sign up for the men's retreat out at the men's table out there. Woody's got all the information out there for us. He also has, because it's a new month, uh, a new list of scripture verses for us to get into the word and a new keyword for the month. Uh, so please get by and get those so that uh, you can build up yourself in, in the word. Uh, also... Uh, Two weeks from today, on May 18th, we will be doing communion again, celebrating the Lord's table. And then two weeks after that, the first Sunday in June, will be our next potluck, and it will be the last one until fall. So you want to make sure you're here uh, on June the 2nd for our uh, sort of our potluck before the heat of summer comes, and we sort of let that go for a couple months until it starts to cool off in the fall. Book of Romans, chapter 1, this morning, as we continue our series uh, in the book of Romans. And uh, this has just been such a great study for me personally. Uh, And and I I just want to hopefully pass on at least a little bit of what God has spoken to me about and and been doing in my life through my own personal study of, of the book of Romans and I want to get, just go back a couple of weeks for, for those that might be like, you know, this is my first Sunday here. Could you sort of maybe catch me up a little bit as to where we're at here? So the book of Romans, out of all the books in the Bible, really present a Christian worldview. And, and everyone has a worldview. It, it's how we make sense of life. It's how we find solutions to life's problems. It, it's, it's sort of the filter we use for things. And, and the book of Romans is the Christian worldview. And, it, and Paul reminded us a couple of weeks ago that from our perspective, obviously, we believe in God, that he exists, that he created everything, and that this is his world. And therefore, it, it has certain principles and precepts that, that God's world's going to operate by. And that he is the greatest reality of his universe that he created. And therefore, we need to make sure that we are living in His reality, that we are living in the reality that is God, the greatest reality of the universe. Because if we choose not to live in that reality, then what we will end up doing in life is we'll either deny what really is happening with life 
or where we are in life, or we will start to create some kind of imaginary fantasy make-believe world that really isn't dealing with reality. And so that's where a lot of folks are today. They're trying to escape reality through a lot of different methods and coping mechanisms and all that because they don't really understand nor do they even know how to deal with what reality is uh, as they are facing it. And then last week, he built on that foundation the whole idea that, that men and women really do have a knowledge of God. Maybe not to the degree that we're going to have it through studying the Word of God, but that every human being starts out with a knowledge of God. And it's not that men and women don't have a knowledge of God, it's what are we doing with the knowledge of God that we have. And the reality is that God has placed a knowledge of himself within every human being that's ever been born. And then Paul said, not only is there the revelation of God within us, but there's the revelation of God around us all the time through God's creation. And therefore, if man is just paying attention to his environment and to God's self-revelation within, he really can know about God. The problem is, Paul says, that many people will reject the knowledge of God, that they will choose not to glorify God as God. They will choose not to express thanks to God. And therefore, Paul says, they begin to follow after uh, very uh, less valuable and less worthy things than God in their life. They begin to fill up their lives with all these things that are of less value and less worth than God. And they get to a place where their, their hearts are darkened and they really can't make sense out of anything. And Paul says, you and I don't want to go there. And he's saying, God never intended for us to go there as well. Now today, Paul wants to talk to us about power. And as we've talked throughout this series, it seems like every, every Sunday, there's sort of like a key word that Paul's thoughts revolve around. The first week was surrender. The second week was reality. The last week was knowledge. Today, we're going to talk about power. And how important that is. And let me start out by saying this. One of the things that we have to be careful of, even as Christians, in the day and age in which we live, is that the Bible teaches us a couple things about power or experiencing God's power. First of all, Paul says to the Corinthians that that the presence of God is expressed not with words, Paul says, but with spiritual power. Now think about that. Paul's saying the presence of God in one's life is not really expressed in words because we can say anything. He said the presence of God is really going to be expressed through the spiritual power that we have and that we're using on an everyday basis. And then Paul later on to Timothy says in the book of 2 Timothy that that there's coming this day, especially in the last days before Christ comes back, that many will affirm that they are spiritual people. But he says they will lack any spiritual power. Let me again repeat that. Paul says in the last days, many will affirm that they are spiritual people, but they really lack any spiritual power power in their lives. Now, the reason why I started out there is because the passage we're going to look at today is a passage that really deals with spiritual 
power or the lack of it. And the reality of God's universe and of what God is saying to every one of us today is this. This is the truth. That I, as a human being, will either choose at some point in my life to become a prisoner of Jesus Christ or else I will be imprisoned to something or someone else. Let me repeat that again. I will either at some point in my life choose to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ or I will be imprisoned to something or someone else. Now the Bible says, look, even Paul even called himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says, but here's the thing about being a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a loving shepherd who really cares about me and has my highest good always in mind. My loving good shepherd will always lead me if I'm willing to be his servant, his slave and follow him. He will always lead me to still waters to serene waters of tranquility and to lush green pastures, the psalmist writes in Psalm 23. And therefore, even though I say I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that the life that Jesus wants me to live and and the life that I will live if I truly surrender and follow him is not going to be anything bad like a lot of people think. Oh, if if I give up my life and follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to be miserable The Bible paints a completely opposite picture. What that is in our minds is a lie. That's not the truth. But if I choose not to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ, then what I will do is end up being a prisoner to other things. And so God, again, in his universe that he created and that he is the greatest reality of, He gives us as human beings that choice. But he wants us to understand very clearly that there are obviously consequences and ramifications to the choices in life we make. And really the thing that we're talking about here today is certainly an issue of sort of life and death. Because I'm not just talking about physical life and death. I'm talking about really experiencing life. Or beginning to experience, in a sense, a spiritual death and dying a slow spiritual death over our lifetime. And I really felt impressed of God as I was preparing for this message today that this message is at least, I think, going to to revolutionize at least one person's life here today. That somebody's going to walk away from hearing the truth of God's word and, and your life is going to head on a whole different trajectory. Here's why. Because if you are to take a look at your life right now and you were to be honest, again, not living in denial, not living in a world of make-believe or imagination or whatever, and you would say, well... I'm not right now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not really following him and and all of that. But I am enslaved to something else or someone else. I'm a prisoner. Here's what you need to hear today. You don't have to stay a prisoner. Jesus Christ came to set you and me free. In fact, Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John to those that were following him, if the Son... 
me, Jesus Christ of God, sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. See, Jesus came to not enslave us. Yes, in a sense, call us to follow him, but not to enslave us, but to set us free and to really experience freedom from anything and everything other than him and his will for our lives. And what Paul wants us to understand, though, is when we choose to not glorify God as God, not to be thankful, not to put him in his rightful place in our lives, not to follow him or surrender to him, that what we're going to end up doing is finding ourselves in an inevitable prison at some point in our life. And there will be some addiction, some habit, some way of thinking, some financial thing we've gotten ourselves into, something. All kinds of different ways this can be fleshed out that will have wrapped around us like a boa constrictor and continue to constrict us and constrict us and put us in that prison and we are not living free at all. You need to know today, and everyone who hears this message today needs to hear that that's never the way God intended for us to experience life. God doesn't want us to be enslaved or in prison to anything or anyone other than him. And that through Jesus Christ, you really can be free today. And we're going to talk more about that. So with that foundation, notice what Paul begins to say in verse 24 of Romans chapter 1. Because he's talking now to this group of people who primarily have rejected God. And so he says, therefore, based upon, not that God ever rejected them and walked away from them, but they chose to walk away from God, here's what the reality is. God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity. Now, a couple things. First of all, the Bible's not saying God gave up on them. God never gives up on any of us, no matter what we find ourselves in. In fact, the whole book of, of, of God's Word, the whole Bible, is really God saying, look, I won't give up on you. you. You may give up on me, but I will not give up on you. In fact, there's even a book within the Bible that pretty much, that's the whole theme of the book. It's the Old Testament book of Hosea. Where God says, look, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've strayed away from me. I just want you to know, Israel, through Hosea's relationship with his own wife who's unfaithful, that though you've been unfaithful to me time and time again, I'm still not ever going to completely turn my back on you. I have great plans for you. And I will always be here because I'm never going to give up on you. And, and the whole relationship that the Almighty God even has with the nation of Israel throughout the centuries should remind us even God doesn't give up on, on people. 
Because even to this day, though the nation of Israel has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, that doesn't mean God has given up on the nation of Israel. In fact, in prophecy, we see through the word of God that he's going to come back and turn his attention once again back to the nation of Israel. And that he predicts that one day, as a nation, they finally will acknowledge him as their Messiah, Jesus Christ. So he doesn't give up on people. But he will give them over to notice the desires of their own hearts. In other words, in the reality that is God and his universe, he says, you can choose to do your own thing. And in that, if that's your desire, if your desire is not to be a servant and slave of me and become my prisoner so that you can be free... If truly you want to follow your desires, I will give you over to that. He will give you what you really want, right? But the words give over in the Greek language means to hand over to the power of another in order to become a prisoner. In other words, God is saying, if you're not going to live by my power... If you choose not to live in me and by my power and experience real freedom, then what you will choose is that you will choose to become the slave or prisoner of something or someone else. And I will let you do that. And God doesn't do that to be cruel. Ultimately, what God has in mind is that that human beings will get to the point in their slavery to something. That they will become so tired of not being free and not really experiencing the freedom that can come through Jesus Christ. That hopefully one day they just cry uncle and say, God, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of being a slave to this. I'm tired of having this control my life so that I really can't enjoy life to its fullest. I want to get rid of this. And God is... Hoping that man will get to the point where he realizes the only way I can really experience freedom from this is not through my own human reformation. It's through transformation through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can really set people free. Because you and I maybe can reform ourselves for a while. But we can't sustain it. We'll go right back to the same old habit or addiction or whatever because only Jesus Christ can truly set a person free. So when Paul says, therefore, God gave them over, he's simply saying, God said, you made the choice, not me. You don't want to follow me? Then here, I hand you over to that other power and you will end up becoming a prisoner to your own desires which he says leads to impurity, to moral degradation, disgrace, and disrespect. Again, from God's point of view. Because he goes on to say, this is fleshed out in some ways by them dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves. Notice what they continue to do, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God, the reality that is God. They gave it up. For the lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator. They were more in awe of what God created than they were the one behind his creation. 
And notice, the Bible here says that they exchanged or gave up the reality it is God for the lie. If your Bible translation says a lie, that's technically wrong. In the Greek, it is the lie. One lie, if you will, expressed in different ways. What is the lie? Well, the lie is that you and I can ignore God and still find fulfillment in this life. The lie is that you and I can reject God's standard of morality and still be happy. The lie is that you and I can live the good life without God. The truth is that living without God isn't the good life. It is literally hell on earth. Because it is men and women who have become enslaved and prisoners to their own desires. And even if they desire to at one point get out of it, they have no clue how to get out of it. They have no way of understanding how can I beat this? How can I overcome this? They have no clue how to do that. Because they've either never clearly heard Or they've just never realized and acknowledged that Jesus Christ is their only way out permanently from what they've gotten themselves wrapped up into. Which is why then, Paul goes on to say in verse 26, For this reason, God gave them over, again, handed them over to the power of something else. He gave them over to dishonorable passions. Again, this is from God's point of view. Disgraceful, disgusting passions, if you will, of their hearts. Dishonorable passions. These are overpowering urges that will not rest until satisfied. You ever had one of those in your life? I think we all have. There's probably been at least some point in our life where we had such an overpowering urge that we could not rest until our flesh satisfied that or got satisfaction. And Paul says, God never meant for that to have that kind of power over you. See, God is saying, men and women... You need to know that through me, you can have a power that can overcome those other powers. And that you don't have to be a prisoner. And you don't have to live addicted or wrapped up by something. Whether it's in our thoughts or in our behaviors or whatever that. God can set you truly free. And Paul says in this context... Here's what he's going to use as an illustration of this. These dishonorable passions. He says, for their women exchanged or literally gave up the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In other words, he's saying, look, this is God's universe. And God has a set order within his universe of how things work. And when God created his universe and men and women, he said, this is the way it's supposed to be in my universe. And again, throughout history, God says, you can choose to do things different than the way I set them up. But when you do that, when you make that choice in any direction away from me, you're going to find yourself becoming a slave and a prisoner to that kind of behavior. And that's exactly what he's saying here. 
that women will give up the natural order that God created the universe to live in, the natural order of things, and they will go against nature, against God's order, and do their own thing. Then he goes on to say, And likewise, verse 27, the men also abandoned, let go of natural relations with women and were inflamed, literally burned in their passions for one another. Men committed shameless or degrading acts with men and received in themselves, notice, the due penalty. In the Greek language, that means an inevitable prison. They become prisoners to that. Because they chose not to follow God. They knew God. They knew what was right and wrong. Creation even tells them what's right and wrong. They know what the natural order of things are. But they choose to go against God's natural order. And because of that, they become enslaved prisoners to this and other behaviors. Notice. They received themselves the due penalty for their error. The word error means refusal to follow the right path. It's not that they don't know what the right path is. It's not that they don't know what right is or right from wrong. It's that they are making a conscious, deliberate choice to say, God, I know that's the way of nature. I know that's the way you created it, but I'm doing my own thing. God said again, I'll give you that choice. I won't make you become a prisoner of me. But you've got to understand something. When you give up being a prisoner of me, you will not experience the serenity of those still waters in your life. You will not experience the lush green pastures that following the good shepherd will give you. There will be no rest in your life. You will be a restless soul, tormented and tortured within all the time. Because down deep, from God's perspective, the reality is, you know, you know what you're doing isn't right. And you can, you know, again, we live in a world today of a lot of misinformation out there. And the sad thing is Christians are even buying in to the misinformation of the world about subjects like we're dealing with today. And there's many Christians that don't have a biblical perspective on these issues. They actually have a worldly perspective on these issues. Which is why can I say we need to get back to the Bible? Because it's the only real reality here, folks. Not what people are saying, but what does God say about this? Verse 28, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Now, here's what that verse is saying, that phrase is saying in the original language. That when they put God up to the test, God didn't pass their test. That's what it's saying. In other words, they put God to the test and the God of the Bible wasn't the kind of God that they liked or wanted, so they just got rid of him. Not that they really don't know there is a God. It's more like, ah, I don't like, I don't like God's rules. I don't like the way God wants me to live my life. I want to do my own thing. So they literally basically just push God aside. Think about that. God doesn't 
pass our test. Wow. He's not the kind of God we want. Because see, here's the problem. When as men and women, if we choose not to worship God, what we will end up doing is creating a God of our own making. Because we were made to worship, as I've talked about in Revelation, our study there on Tuesday night, and now in our study of Romans. We were made, we were created by this God to be worshipers. And we will either choose to worship Him, or we will end up worshiping some other God, usually of our own making. So what's happened over history is simply this. The God of the Bible has clearly revealed Himself. And most of the time, men and women go, well, I don't like that kind of God. So I'm going to start creating in my mind the kind of God that I like. The kind of God that I want. The kind of God that I can do what I want to do and live the way I want to do. And I can be okay with it. That's basically what Paul's saying. The God of the Bible didn't pass their test. So they created another God. So just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God again gave them over to a depraved mind. A fatally flawed way of thinking. That's what God gave them over to. A fatally flawed way of thinking. That's what a depraved mind is. In other words, they can't, they can't think straight. They can't make sense of things. They can't really find solutions to life's problems. And the sad thing is in the context that they've become prisoners and enslaved to all these different things in their life and they don't know the way out. Because they've rejected the only way out, which is Jesus Christ. And let me say this at this point. This message obviously isn't just for people who've rejected Jesus Christ. This message is for us as Christians. Because even as Christians, we may have Jesus Christ as our Savior. But going back to the very first week of this series in Romans chapter 1, we can be saved but not surrendered, just like the nation of Israel. Saved out of Egypt, but had to wander Because they weren't surrendered to God. And because they weren't surrendered, they really couldn't make sense of life, and life got the better of them. And Paul's also then giving a warning to Christians that even though we could be saved, and have Jesus Christ as our Savior, and have our sins forgiven, we can still choose at some point, even as a Christian, to begin to live under the power of another rather than the power of God. And maybe one of the reasons is we're not even aware of the power that we have as Christians. And therefore we allow other people and other things to have a power over us that we should never allow to happen and that that God never intended for us to happen. Or maybe there comes a period or season in our Christian life where something or someone becomes more important to us than God. And when that happens, guess what's going to start happening in our lives? then things are going to start creeping in that's going to start enslaving us and wrapping their selves around us like that boa constrictor. And pretty soon we're going to wake up even as a Christian and go, wow, I I no longer have the freedom that I once had. I got things in my mind and in my life that just are taking hold of me and won't let go. And I don't know what to do to get to a different place. Notice what Paul says. Here's some of the, some of the things that Paul says can enslave us. He says, verse 29, they are filled, overflowing with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, 
covetousness, malice. They are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boasters, contrivers of all sorts of evil. I love it. Literally, they're always seeking new ways to sin. And can I tell you, living in the world we live in, that's true. People are inventing ways of sinning. Disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless. And Paul is saying, guys, gals, we can become enslaved to any or all of those when we're not putting Christ in his proper place in our lives. See? Any of those behaviors can become locked into our lives and we become a prisoner to that way of thinking or to that kind of a lifestyle. And I don't have to convince you that just watching a little bit of even just the local Phoenix news is filled with a lot of bad stuff out there today. People who are hurting and harming and injuring each other. And the sad thing is, not to excuse their behavior at all, but 99% of those people who are harming, injuring, and hurting others is because they're enslaved and prisoners themselves. Because they've gotten themselves involved in stuff and they don't know any way out, even if they want to get out. The only thing they know is that way. And Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth and the life out of this mess that you found yourself in. And I've come to set you free. And if at any point in your life, you are not experiencing true freedom, real freedom in your life, just turn to me. I've not given up on you. I never will give up on you until you die. So please turn to me and begin to experience the freedom that only Jesus Christ can give. Paul's last sort of indictment here in this passage in verse 32 is this. He says, although they fully know God's righteous decree. In other words, again, from God's perspective, people, people, it's not that they don't know what's right and wrong. Because Paul later on in the book of Romans is going to say, you know what part of the reality is here? God also, when he created every human being, gave every human being a conscience. And let's just not even get to the Bible yet. He says the reason why God gave every human being a conscience is because that is sort of that inner alert warning system, that that moral compass that God placed within human beings to, to say what was right and what was wrong. And even just listening to our conscience. But the Bible says many people today have shut off their conscience. When the conscience begins to bother them or alert them about something, they just drown it out and do what they want to do anyway. And the more we behave that way, the less and less our conscience even becomes a factor in our decisions in life. So Paul's saying, it's not that people don't know right from wrong. 
It's not that they really don't know what God's order is. It's that even though they fully knew God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they heartily approve and applaud of those who practice them. Paul says that's the problem. Not that people don't know right from wrong. It's that they choose to do what's against God anyway. And Paul's saying here something very important. He's not talking about physical death here when he uses the word die. That's very important. He's talking about a spiritual death. And he's saying that these people who go down that road of rejecting God and becoming enslaved and prisoners to other things in their life besides God, They are slowly committing spiritual suicide. They literally are killing their spirit, if you will, by their lifestyle and by their continual rejection of God. And you and I know this to be true. Because I was thinking of this even this week and I thought I can even go back to many, many years ago. And it was many, many years ago when I was in junior high and high school. Okay. I can even go all the way back to when I was in, you know, that age. And I can remember, you know, being with with people in that age group. And they would even joke about it. But even in their joking, you understood, they understood even at that age that there was a truth to it. They would say things like, oh, you know what, we, you know, we know we're just going to have a big party when we get to hell with each other. And when you think about what they're saying, then they're even at that age understanding sort of that what they're doing (laughs) has spiritual consequences. And yet they're trying to sort of lighten it by saying, oh, well, you know, we'll all be there together. And, and, you know, it'll be a big party, really. Because, again, because they've rejected the reality that is God, they're going to start creating their own reality that really isn't reality at all to try to... Pretend like it's never really going to happen. But, but their statement actually shows that they really do understand that what they're engaged in is really a committing of spiritual suicide. They're killing their spirit. And yet Paul says that men and women can get to a point where even though they know that what they're doing is killing themselves spiritually, they continue to do it. And applaud those and approve of those who are doing it too. Because somehow there's, you know, it, it, it makes everyone feel good if, if, if we know that there's people coming with us. And we're all in this together, so we'll just all go together down that path of spiritual destruction. And Jesus is saying, all, all the way along that path, you can get off that road. All you have to do is follow me. I'll give you freedom. You don't have to be enslaved to that or a prisoner of that any longer. In fact, leave Romans for today. We'll come back next week and go over to the book of Ephesians as we close today. To Ephesians chapter 1. I I, want to give you some verses today as Christians that I, I hope will just reverberate and resonate and and just even rumble within your being 
in the days and weeks ahead. I'm going to begin in verse 17, where Paul is praying and sharing his his words of a prayer for the Ephesian Christians. And here's what he's praying. He says, chapter 1, verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of Him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you may know. That word means to become aware of. He wants the Ephesian Christians to be totally aware of some things. I want you to become aware of what is the hope of his calling. That's the first thing. Second, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's the second thing. And the third thing that he elaborates most on is this, verse 19. And what is the incomparable greatness of his power, notice, towards us who what? Believe. Paul says, oh, Ephesian Christians and Christians at the church at Oasis and Chandler. Don't miss, Paul says, what I'm about to tell you. That I'm praying that as a Christian, you become aware of the power of God that resides within you at all times. A power that God gave you when he gave you his Holy Spirit to dwell, literally live within you. That you have God himself inside of you and therefore you have the power of God inside of you. And instead of just talking the talk, Paul says... We can walk the walk and demonstrate the presence of God in our life, not by talking about it, but in power. And we won't be like the people who affirm spirituality, but lack spiritual power. Paul says, we got to start living powerful lives. Notice he goes on to say, what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength? Paul's building up adjective after adjective to just say, and you guys all realize that God's power is the greatest power in the universe, right? That there is no greater power. So no matter what power has got you wrapped up in your life, that God's power can crack it. God's power can break it. God's power can overcome it because his power is beyond all other powers. And then he says this, verse 20, this power, the same power that resides inside of you as a Christian This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul's saying, Christian, Christian, are you aware that the resurrection power of God, the same power, Paul said, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you at all times. And Paul says, if Christians really were aware of the See, a Christian doesn't have to pray to God, God, give me power for this and that. Technically, we never have to pray that prayer. Paul's saying we just need to be aware of the power through the indwelling Holy Spirit that we always have and learn how to tap into that power. Not to pray for more power, but just to become aware of the power that we already have. And Paul's saying to Christians, man, If we really realize the power of God within us, then these things that 
get to us and get on top of us and and start wrapping themselves around us and making us prisoners and enslaving us. Man, if we realize that we have that kind of power inside of us, we could learn how to tap into it and begin to be free rather than becoming slaves. Because God never intended for His children, those who follow Him, to be enslaved or prisoners to anyone or anything other than Him. The Good Shepherd. And He's saying, If you just start tapping into the power you've got, there is no other power in the universe that's greater than that. Live by my power. Don't succumb to this other power. Oh, are these other powers strong? Absolutely. That's why people even even who want to try to get out of these things can't do it on your own. Even if you want to, we don't have the human power within us to be able to overcome these things. But with God's power, we can overcome anything. But see, remember what Paul said back in verse 18? This power is exercised towards those who believe. That's the difference. Some Christians even, really, when it comes right down to it, They really don't believe they got that power. That's why they just sort of throw their hands up and go, well, I've heard Christians say this before about a certain bad habit or attitude or whatever. That's just the way I am. Just the way God made me. Just going to have to deal with me that way. I'm like, I'd like to deal with you that way. (laughs) Now, what I really want to say in love is don't you realize if you are a Christian... You've got a power inside of you that you don't have to be that way. You don't have to talk that way. You don't have to treat other people that way. No matter how long you've been that way, God's power is greater and can help us all overcome these things. And so Paul is saying to the Romans and to us, this is the true choice. And notice... Paul addressed these issues to a group of Christians in Rome at that time that knew all about power of men. Because at this time in history, the Roman Empire was the power on earth. And Paul is reminding these Roman Christians, you may be in Rome, but you're not a slave to the Roman Empire or to the the emperor, whoever the emperor is. If you follow Jesus Christ, you're living by a greater power. That's why throughout my of days of even dealing with every once in a while with, with people in, in cults or even, even prisoners in, in physical prisons, that those who truly turn to Christ and follow Christ may be in a physical prison, but they're not in prison really any longer. They're free. Because it's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. And it's about becoming aware of the power of God that all of us have as Christians within. And truly believing in that power and seeing that power unleashed in our lives. And many of you have heard my testimony and my story. About how for years I was in prison and enslaved by my anxiety. And so I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. 
It was when I got to a point as a Christian that I truly began to believe in the power that God had placed within me that I began to overcome that. And I say that just to encourage some of you, no matter what got a hold of you right now, I'm telling you, the power of God is sufficient and it will, it will overcome whatever's got a hold of you. Because God's power is greater. The choice is this for each of us. We can either choose, Paul says, to become a prisoner of Jesus Christ and truly live free. Because if the Son sets you free, you'll be free. Or we will choose to be handed over to the power of something or someone else and live as their slave. And they won't treat us near as well as our Lord Jesus Christ will. What's the choice today, my friends? What choice will we make? Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us, Lord, about this truth today. And, and that there is the reality in this universe that you created of power. And there's all kinds of power in and around us every day. Some for evil and some obviously for good. And God, you've clearly laid out what the reality is. We can choose to follow you and live in real freedom. Or we can choose not to follow you and become slaves and prisoners to something else. And God, I pray today that if anyone here is finally tired of the struggle on their own, of trying to get out from under this other power, that Lord, today will begin the day that they truly rely on your power alone to get them out. And I pray for many Christians here today that maybe for the very first time in their life, especially in that passage in Ephesians 1, that maybe like no other time in their life, even though they may have read those verses before, that they became so much more aware of the power that you've placed within us as your children. A power that we don't have to pray for, a power that we just have to become aware of and tap into. God, may we live by your power today and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song.